This is the Media Week Industry Podcast from the people at mediaweek.com.au. Welcome to a new Media Week TV podcast. Welcoming back this week again, Andrew Mercado. Welcome, Andrew. Hi there, James. Um, sort of interesting time of year, mid-year. Some big, big franchises on, but they're not really setting the um, the market alight. I suppose the it's not a surprise, but it's Ninja Warrior seems to be winning the nights it's on. Yeah. Doing doing very well up against Pharma, which I'll talk a, a little bit about in a moment, and um, Bachelor in Paradise. Although it's important to point out that Ninja Warrior is winning in capital cities, which is what the TV stations care about. But yeah. when you count in regional Australia, no surprise really that Farmer Wants a Wife has the edge. I mean, I do, I do a lot of ABC regional radio and, you know, they're, they're very into Farmer Wants a Wife because, you know, it's, it's, it's something, it's, there's so few shows about the regional Australia. It's no surprise that, the majority of viewers prefer that. Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah, no, that's a good point. It's doing fantastic business in the bush. Yeah. Um, as does Seven generally, I guess. it's um, Seven News is just the, the, the biggest by far. And when you look at the uh, metro and regional markets, Sunrise as well does fantastically. So Seven's got a real heritage with, through the Prime Network, I guess, and um, yeah. gets at a lot of viewers. Correct. Now, have you watched any? I'm I'm just not a bachelor guy. I'm I just just find it hard to get into any of those franchises. I mean, they seem they all seem pretty well made, especially I guess Bachelor and Bachelorette. Most of the promos I've got to say for Bachelor in Paradise almost repel me a little bit. Well, I'm with you. I think the Bachelor, if you can use this word, is the classy original. And I use that word because, you know, it's fine to have the Bachelor and the Bachelorette, but I have a real problem with Bachelor in Paradise because this is a show full of losers, a bunch of people who've been rejected from those first two shows that come back for more knowing exactly what they're going to get. They all come back under this bullshit of they're still looking for true love, give me a break. We know from the show that they're all contacting each other on Instagram beforehand. And then the show, I just think it's just complete rubbish. And then, of course, you read in... Uh, the the gossip websites, oh, yeah, that couple that found true love on Bachelor in Paradise, they broke up almost as soon as they left the island and that guy's now dating someone from Love Island that he sent an Instagram message for and it's like, you know what, I'm not interested in seeing shows with any of those rejects anymore. I think it brings down the whole franchise. And I look at the ads for The Bachelor with Lockie and think, yeah, he looks like a nice guy. I want to watch this. And then I see the girls coming and I go, but the problem is we're just unleashing another wave of rejects into the TV reality world. I'm not a fan of Bachelor in Paradise. Yeah, well, you haven't got to wait long for the original because I think that starts... Um, Wednesday night, next Wednesday, I think. Yeah, I think, yeah, Wednesday and Thursday, I think it is. Um, I think that's all been recorded with um, Osher Gunsberg uh, hosting because he's also doing The Bachelorette and there's some challenge now between getting him from 
the Bachelorette set, which is in Sydney, to the Masked Singer set, which is filming in Melbourne. I mean, seriously, I love Osher Gunsberg, but, you know, Channel 10 only seem to have one or two hosts for all their shows. You know, he's hosting three Bachelor shows and the Masked Singer in the age of COVID. You know, this is... You know, why wasn't somebody else hosting one of those shows? It would have made life a lot easier. Yeah, I guess in um, in their defence, who knew we'd still be doing this in August, right? right. Um, and that's why I might, and I'll get off topic here, but that's why I, I can't find, go too hard on Victoria because, look, they were doing their best. Yeah. We now know it wasn't good enough, but, I mean, who knew, right? Yeah, look, it's not as if any of us have ever been through a pandemic before. Exactly. You know, this is the first time this has ever happened in the world and uh, I think that it was. it's always been inevitable that there's going to have been some mistakes. I think what's disappointing is the way that so many people have chosen to ignore what is very clear messaging. Um, but, yeah, I, I know that you know, TV productions in Melbourne that were doing the right thing have been allowed to continue through this lockdown. So uh, congratulations to all those TV productions like Neighbours and all the others that are made in Melbourne uh, that put into place uh, the correct procedures so that they could keep uh, their output even when the rest of the city goes into stage four lockdown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that... um because, you know, there's just virtually zero travel between the, any of the states at the moment. Yeah. You know, um, if you come into New South Wales, you can, or from Victoria, I think you can come into New South Wales from most states, but you have to pay for your own two-week isolation in a hotel. Yeah. And that's if your own state will let you leave. And I think we've also seen that too in Australian Ninja Warrior. When it first started, it was uh, Ben Fordham and Shane Crawford and Andrew Flintoff was down on the sidelines and Rebecca Madden couldn't get there, I'm presuming because of something to do with COVID. Then uh, I noticed that it switched to Rebecca Madden, Rebecca and Ben Fordham and uh, Shane Crawford was down on the sidelines and Flintoff is gone and I've since noticed that he's doing all this stuff in the UK and, yeah, you can't have someone from the UK, as the Masked Singers found out with Lindsay Lohan, life becomes really, really difficult uh, because you're not using local people. Uh, Farmer wants a wife, we mentioned. I've got to say I'm sort of right into this. Um, I, I always enjoyed the old format. Yep. And I just think they've done such a good job at bringing this back. I mean, I always love uh, bush photography done well. Yeah. And they really, whether it's on Australian Story or um, any of the other docos, or, but they've just done a great job on this. I mean, and look at the talent pool. They, they should be doing a good job too. So the production companies involved are Eureka, Fremantle and Seven Studios. Yeah, wow. So from Eureka, you've got the founders, Paul Franklin and Chris Colvener, and, you know, and two great producers, especially Paul Franklin. He's one of the, one of the greats when it comes to reality TV. Uh, working for them now is Ricky Proust, who is X7 and was, you know, 
probably the mastermind behind My Kitchen Rules for many years. Also, uh, working from seven is Sonia Wilkes, who's one of their sort of senior EPs. Um, and at Fremantle, you've got Jonathan Summerhays and the boss there, Chris, uh, Chris Oliver Taylor. So, you know. I had every intention of watching, James. I thought the promos for it were, for, were great. But on night one, I just started watching Australian Ninja Warrior and I got sucked into the vortex. And by the time I switched over to Farmer, because I forgot then, and then at like 8.30 or something, I went, shit, I'm meant to be watching Farmer once what? By the time I switched over, he was already picking girls, one of those farmers, and I, and I, and I thought, I've lost the plot here. I, and I never went back to it from that point. I will tell you something very funny, though. I was in the supermarket yesterday and I was at the aisle where all the magazines are and there on the woman's day was a picture of the one of the good-looking farmers and it said, you know, nude photo scandal and I thought, oh, okay, you got my attention. I went through that magazine from front to cover twice and couldn't <laughs> find the story. So I think that's a, a side story on how tough it is for magazines. And I'll get to this later in it with another story we're about to talk yeah. on, that magazines are doing it really tough and pretty much just telling almost lies on the front cover. Well, you could say that's self-inflicted, isn't it? Some of the damage they're going through, you know. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, look, Farmer wants a wife. The casting's brilliant. Farmer, Farmer Alex is one of my favourites. He's, uh, he's a good guy, very believable. Yeah. Um, and he seems to be getting most of the promos too. He was the guy on the cover of Woman's Day. Oh, okay. Seven have certainly made him the star of that show. From my research, though, Farmer Harry seems to be thought of as the cutest. Right. Um, I think it's a fight between Alex and Harry, James, from what I'm seeing on my friends. <laughs> but he's also had the most unbelievable plot line. Right. But you don't watch these shows. To, you, you forgive sort of unbelievable bits like I think it was Madison who's just 24 and you you know I think someone 24 they're probably too young for a format like this but whatever but she she so she came on he was she was his favorite then when the other girls arrived she couldn't handle it so she left then she realized she made a mistake so she came back then he she wasn't his favorite and then it just was all too convoluted and it looked really Obvious that had just been concocted, but right, you no, know, doesn't matter. Yeah, Farmer Neil's probably the I won't say the most boring because he's got an incredible backstory which he just unloaded on the ladies. So he, you know, he's a real contributor. So he's a, he seems a great bloke. Who's the guy from that was that was in LA and wears a lot of jewelry? Oh, I'm getting standby. Because some of the farmers are a little bit older this year, but I don't see any of them in the promos or the magazines. It's all about those young bucks, Alex and Harry. That's where yeah. the promo is going to get you to watch. But when you watch the show, there's some some older farmers there. Yeah, well, Farmer Neil, which I just mentioned, is 43. He's from Crookwell. Right. And the bloke from Tassie, the, who's sort of gone between LA and Australia, yeah. Farmer Nick, who's 44. Okay. Um, he's probably the, in a way, the most intriguing, you know. He made some strange choices of who to take down there. But, um, he, he seems to have a great setup. He's got like a winery 
um, I think just out of Launceston, I think. Right. In Tasmania. And it's it's a really cool place and it, you know. So, and then the other one's Farmer Sam who's, he's a little bit weird. He's a, um, he's not weird because he's an Italian-Australian, but but being Italian, his mum and then the grandmother are in a lot of the scenes. Oh. I'm just thinking and for one of the girls that had freaked me out a lot that his mum's always hanging around, so. Yeah. I'm not sure. But anyway, as you can tell, I'm spending a bit too much time on this show. Well, James, um, I watched an episode of Indian Matchmaking on Netflix the other night and, my God, the parents are involved in that. So, so tell me about that. Is, that. is that just like a reality show but in India? Pretty much. It's, it's actually, I thought it was going to be set in India, but, of course, <laughs> actually, once they opened their mouth and started speaking, that we're talking about American Indians. Okay. Uh, but... You know, when the matchmaker comes in, she does go to Mumbai. So she is actually some... So it is almost like a bi-coastal dating show. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's absolutely... I found it absolutely hilarious that, you know, you've got... Here's a show where the parents have hired a matchmaker. It's an arranged marriage. But the people involved are exactly the same as your average contestant on Bachelor in Paradise. They're still narcissistic. They're still fussy. They're still obsessed with their looks. They're still showing off their bling. So, you know, it just goes to show that even in another culture where the parents are arranging the marriage, if you go to make a reality TV show of it, you've still got to have those tropes that the audience is expecting. Okay. Okay. Um. Not a lot of reality, uh, not a lot, a lot of drama on at the moment, I guess. The um, Now, we've talked about Between Two Worlds before. Yeah. I'm ashamed to say I haven't yet gone past episode one. Right. I think as we speak, it's only been on twice, so I'm... Um, well, two episodes have gone to air, and I've watched yeah. uh, five of them on the seven preview site. And, you know, I, I think I said at the start, my pick was episode three. Episode three was the one where there was really a moment where you went, wow. But uh, seven's given up on it. Mm. They bumped it from 8.30pm to 10pm on Sunday night. So they've just kind of gone whatever. And I'm really disappointed that they haven't fought harder to make this show work, James. Do you know that there hasn't been one on-course screening for Between Two Worlds since it's really? Not no. one. No daytime repeats, no late night after their shows. Think about some of the other shows they've had where there's been two or three on-course screenings that first week. Nothing for Between Two Worlds. And right. even when you go to the 7 Plus website, as I did today, and you come up on the main page, what came up on the main page? Resurrection an American show from 2014. The Smoke, a British show from 2014. Necessary Roughness from 2011. Summerland from 2004. A Country Practice and Farmer Wants a Wife. I had to search for Between Two Worlds on it and I just think that's... I just don't know that they put the full might of their network support behind their expensive drama. Yeah, yeah. I'll just um, see if I, while I'm chatting to you, have a quick look for the catch-up numbers. Mm, pretty modest. I mean, it launched with four not, um, 419,000 Metro. 
Right. The seven-day catch-up was only an extra 68. Right. Which is, which is not great when you look at something like Vera. The seven-day catch-up for Vera screened on the same night, 180,000. Yeah, right. So, you know, people are a lot more invested in that. Um, so they, they are disappointing. Here's my other complaint about uh, the promotion around it too. So the latest issue of TV Week has a story on Between Two Worlds. It says on the cover, Aaron Jeffrey, McLeod's daughter's bombshell. So you get to the thing about him starring in Between Two Worlds and, of course, the first part of the story is all about the fact that McLeod's daughters might be coming back for a revival or a spin-off. And Aaron Jeffries' response to that, this is his bombshell, James, remember? Yeah. The bombshell is, I know nothing about it, to be honest, except what I've seen on social media. My character departed the show, so I can't imagine I'd be part of it. But I wish them all the best. I mean, seriously? Not even TV Week could make the fact that he's so good in Between Two Worlds the main focus of the story. They went off on a bloody headline that wasn't even a headline. There was nothing to it. Yeah, yeah. Mm, it's strange. Very strange. So, yeah, so you, you're going to have to... It's probably best to watch um, Between Two Worlds on um, 7 Plus, I guess. Yeah, well, no one's going to sit up till 10pm on a Sunday night if they're uh, really indebted in it. And such a shame because I would have thought, given how spicy and juicy episode three is, that you could, give, you could have given that one last punch, this is the episode you need to watch. Mm. I mean, it's cost the most shitload of money to make. Wouldn't you try for at least three or four weeks? I mean, to throw it away after two weeks and no encore screening, wow. Yeah, it does seem like they've given up on it too easy, too easy. Um, the other drama you were going to tell us, Singapore Grip. Yeah. I think we've both watched a bit of this one. Yeah, BBC First. It, it's unbelievable. I went looking for some information, James, and I couldn't find anything about it. Do you know why? It hasn't even screened in the UK yet. You sure? It's an ITV show. So it's, it's down on their list to screen sometime this autumn. So yeah. we're seeing it before the UK. That's wow. why there's no Wikipedia page entry for it. Um, look, I liked the first episode. I, th I thought it was a bit out there. I was trying to get my head around it. I mean, here's a show set against the backdrop of Singapore falling to the Japanese in 1942, but, you know, there's all this kind of bizarre backstory with this mysterious Chinese refugee and, you know, a, a chance meeting in Shanghai years before, and I'm still trying to get my head around the story of what's happening. I liked it. The cast is amazing. David yeah. Morrissey, Charles Dance, Jane Horrocks from Absolutely Fabulous, who is fabulous in it as she is in everything she is it's um it's a spicy mix but um i'm i'm still trying to figure out exactly where it's going to go six episodes and based on a book that is actually uh, described as being a satirical novel yeah did you mention david morrissey yes yes yeah. um i actually did a podcast with him one wow you think he was in australia doing promo for the missing oh yeah and uh, did it and they got to have Spend oh, probably 45 minutes with him in his hotel in, in, um, in Sydney. Yeah, right. 
I um, you can might, maybe if you Google it, people could find it, but I'm not sure. It's a few years ago now, so I'm not sure if it's still up on the site. And of course, since then he's done the Walking Dead, right? So yeah, absolutely. Get after the missing. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's quite a big star in the US, I think, and goes a lot into those sci-fi um, fan conventions and stuff like that, where yeah. those people are just absolutely mobbed. Yeah. Uh, and Georgia Blizzard, that Aussie girl. Australian actress, yeah. Yeah. Uh, to, before this had only done like I think one episode of Home and Away or just yeah, amazing. a bit part and then she was like an extra or two I think in um, Thor Ragnarok. Okay. Mm. Now the Singapore grip is very similar to the show I watched on Stan called Little, Little Birds. And do you know what? From the press ad for it it's a picture of two girls in silhouette i just looked at that and i just went oh that looks like a i think i've seen that before that's little voice that movie jane horrocks starred at so i just kind of disregarded it it was only by chance that i was reading something else and i actually read oh no little birds is set in tangiers in the 1950s so it's more white rich colonialists behaving very decadently and prostitutes and yeah. very raunchy. It's, it's based on some erotic short stories by Anais Nin and they sort of put these stories together. And so I've watched uh, the first episode of that and there's an amazing supporting cast for it, James. Do you remember a big movie back in the 90s by Jean-Luc Besson called The Big Blue? Oh, starring- yeah. Rosanna Arquette and Jean-Marc Barr. Well, Jean-Marc Barr is in this as a sort of the head French soldier. And so is Rossi De Palma, who is a Spanish actress who's been in a lot of Pedro Almodovar movies. And when they came up in the credits, I was just like, oh, wow, yeah, I'm going to love this show because uh, they're real uh, kind of uh, cult movie stars from the 90s. So, yeah, Little Birds is on Stan. I, I highly recommend it. But um, The Big Blue. Yeah. That, there was a, that wasn't a French film with a very memorable opening scene, was it? Yeah, it was a French movie about a guy that was an underwater diver. And oh, he beat Rosanna Arquette and then he goes off one night swimming with a dolphin and the poster for it was this... the. A moonlit sea and this dolphin and this man swimming way out to sea and uh, there, there are two versions of it. They ended up bringing out a three-hour version of it because there were two French movies of that period. There was Betty Blue and there was The Big Blue. That's what I'm uh, thinking of, Betty Blue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, The Big Blue was the water one and uh, Betty Blue was about the woman that liked sex and was really crazy. <laughs> That's the one with the very memorable opening scene, obviously. Correct. Yes. Now I can see what you're getting to. Yes, <laughs> Betty Blue has a very memorable opening scene. Yeah, yeah. Um, the Ellen Controversy. Yeah. I always enjoyed watching The Ellen Show, but I've got to say I don't get to see it very often because it's sort of middle of the day and I'm never thinking about it and I never really think about doing it on catch-up. I mean, I've loved those end-of-the-year episodes where they have the, the big giveaways and all that stuff and the celebrities they get on, she always seems to have great relationships with. But how, where do you sit on all the stuff that's now coming out about her that seems to be divided into two camps? Yeah. A, she's a 
good person or she's a bit of a witch? Look, I'm vaguely uncomfortable with it because she's been through this before. You know, when she came out as a lesbian on her sitcom, um, the year after that was pretty bad and, you know, we've kind of uh, pushed her off her pedestal once before. So I'm slightly uncomfortable that this is happening to her again. But then I also think where there's smoke, there's fire. And I don't think that you can just simply say, oh, look, I know I'm in charge, but this stuff was going on on my watch and I didn't know about it. I want my workplace to be a happy place. I'm really sorry if employees felt that they were having a really bad time there. And I think we've seen, heard from many employees that it hasn't been a fun place to work in. And I think we're also seeing with the deafening silence from uh, the celebrities who aren't rushing to her defence that uh, some people kind of agree with her. Um, so, yeah, I think watch this space. But, you know, I don't know if she can recover from this. I would pretty much put money on it that her show's over, that, you know, that there's just been so many stories of bad treatment. I don't know if a show that prides itself on being inclusive and being happy can survive much more of this. Yeah, you're right. The, um, I mean, if you watched the show, you'd think she was on, you know, quite close to a, a lot of A-listers. Yeah. But they're just not coming out and saying, hey, back off. No. Good person. No. And not one person has responded to the tweet from Portia de Rossi who targeted some people. There was Lady Gaga and there was a bunch of people that she specifically CC'd on that tweet. I stand with Ellen. Nothing from them. They've not even liked the tweet. So, you know, the silence has been deafening. There's Kevin Hart who Ellen stood up for when he was sacked from hosting the Oscars for homophobic remarks in the past. Yeah. Um, And really there's only been Katy Perry, who's one of the nicest, what I think is one of the real nice people. We saw saw her recently when she was out here in Australia and she went through with that concert, even with coronavirus. She was pregnant. She came back. She's seriously a nice person. She's come out and said, great, and Ashton Kutcher, and that's it. Wow. That's it. Speaking of um, Katy Perry, um, I got to sit in on a Zoom call with her this week. Wow. Um, It came about, it was a Nova Red Room event. Right. Just for like a dozen fans. Yep. Um, And Nova let me sit in just as an observer. I obviously wasn't up there on the screen with the kids, but along with some Nova executives, it was fascinating, you know, just... She was in her home and she, she, was all, she was all done up looking like she was about to go on stage. But then she revealed that she actually had her pyjamas on <laughs> where the camera cut off. And she talked a little bit. She's got a new album out called Smile later yep. this month. Uh, she's about to give birth. I was going um, to say, how, how pregnant did she look? Yeah, well, you couldn't tell really from, yep. the, from the, the camera shot. But she said, look, it's not far away. Yeah. And she talked about going shopping. I'm not sure how that came up, but the fans each got to ask a question and her going shop, she said she went to Target on the weekend. <laughs> she likes going by herself, uh, wearing a mask, of course, so anonymity wasn't, a, wasn't an issue. And she says she goes in and she makes sure she walks every aisle. 
and spends about two hours. So she, she really gets into it. <laughs> wow, that's so great. <laughs> yeah, no, it was pretty funny. Yeah, it's funny. That's a, you know, I was reading Michelle Obama's book and she talks about this time after being in the White House for a couple of years, suddenly having this moment where she said, I need to go to Target and I just need to go there by myself. Right. No, you, I don't need someone to go get it for me. <laughs> I want to do it myself and pretend to be a real person again. <laughs> yeah. yeah, very good. Um, who's the boss? It's just been confirmed there, um going to bring it back? Yeah, this is uh, massive news. So Alyssa Milano tweeted, uh, it's happening. Tony Danza is on board. Um, So they're, of course, father and daughter in the show. Who's not coming back to Who's the Boss, though, uh, is Danny Pinturo, who was her, uh, Judith Light's son, wasn't it? And Judith Light has said she doesn't seem to be attached at this stage, which is such a shame because I don't know whether you've seen the second series of The Politician uh, with Bette Midler and Judith Light, but, I mean, I've always been a fan of Judith Light's because, you know, she gave some of the most blistering performances in daytime when she was on One Life to Live in the 70s. You can catch them on YouTube. She's always been a star in my book. Um, So I'd love to think that, if it goes if it goes for a while and a success that they can talk her into making an appearance. Catherine Helmond, of course, who played Judith Light's mother, she recently died, so she can't be in it. But here's the kicker, James. Uh, it's being overseen. One of the executive producers is Norman Lear. He's 98 years old now. He's just been, you know, he's been redoing his old shows. He's redone One Day at a Time for Netflix. Right. He's been doing these live staged versions of his classic TV shows with I with one of the late night show hosts, not Jimmy Kimmel. Uh, I think Fallon has been doing it. They did All in the Family with Woody Harrelson and they did uh, The Jeffersons and Good Times. And I think it's so amazing that, you know, when you think back to Norman Lear's career in the 70s when he did All in the Family and Maud and Sanford and Son, and those shows were hugely controversial in their day. Uh, And you could look at those shows, and people do look at those shows all the time and say, oh, you can't have a show like All in the Family on TV now, political correctness. And yet here's Norman Lear, 98 years old, not sitting there whinging about it but saying, Actually, you can. You just have to rejig the scripts a bit. And why don't we do one day at a time again? And this time we'll make it a uh, Latino family and get Rita Marino on board. And so you just have to be clever about things from the past and you can pretty much bring back everything. I think it's a very interesting message there. 98, there's hope for me yet, Andrew. (laughs) Yeah. Another reunion, 30 Rock. Now, you mentioned this last time we spoke. Yeah. So they did this one-off special. That's right. Um, And so, of course, I had to track it down via a VPN. I ended up going to the NBC website to watch it. And when I watched it, I realised, oh, this is never going to screen in Australia because basically it was a one-hour show, but it was pretty much a giant promotion for Peacock which is NBC's uh, new streaming service. Right. So in the last episode of 30 Rock, Kenneth had been made the chairman of NBC. 
So when this special picks up in the age of COVID, uh, you've got Alec Baldwin ringing up Liz Lemon, played by Tina Fey, saying, oh, you know, they, they want us to bring back, you know, our show. And so this hilarious show goes on. But through it all, there's all these kind of promos built into the show promoting Peacock and promoting some of the original shows that they're going to be doing. And indeed, all the commercial breaks are all about uh, NBC product. So because of that, I don't think it's going to be an episode that we're going to see here in Australia. So if you're a 30 Rock fan, you're going to have to figure out how to get to NBC website in America and watch it. I highly recommend it for fans of 30 Rock, though. Uh, Jane Krakowski as Jenna was off the charts hilarious, as was Tracy Morgan. Because um, dedicated fans will be well familiar with um, the tribulations they go through to watch this show because it was quite hard to see <laughs> originally. Well, Seven used to have it on close to midnight some nights. It used to be on at like 11.30 at night and you're going, come on. But, you know, I remember speaking to someone at seven at the time and they just said, TV shows about TV don't work. End of story. We're not even going to try. It's 11.30 on a Monday night. Suck it up. Yeah. And, of yeah. course, now you can find it on uh, ABC's Comedy Channel and Foxtel's Comedy Channel and, yeah. So a VPN could be all you need because there's, a, there's an ad-supported uh, level for Peacock so you don't have to register with the US credit card, do you? No, well, what I did was I watched the NBC catch-up site. Yeah, okay. It's like watching a, a Channel 7 site from another country. Right. Yeah, but it was very interesting, James, because the ads for Peacock were saying free, free, free. So what Peacock seems to be doing is there's a whole bunch of shows you can watch for free, great NBC shows from the past, but if you want to watch their original shows like this remake they've done of Brave New World, which is the Aldous Huxley novel starring Demi Moore, if you want to watch that, then you're going to have to pay uh, for Peacock that way. But there was there were several ads throughout this 30 Rock special saying you can start watching Peacock now for free and massive library of shows there and movies. Okay, there's a couple of other programs on US streaming services that I, we can talk about. Now, Why Women Kill, I think, was originally made for CBS All Access in the US. Yeah, and 10 All Access had it here. Uh Um, And I watched a couple of episodes of it and then I just kind of lost track. But now it's on SBS On Demand. And several of my friends have started going, oh, wow, I've been watching this great show, uh, Women Who Kill, starring Lucy Liu, and it's from Mark Cherry, the guy who did Desperate Housewives. And they're all absolutely shocked when I say to them, oh, yeah, I started watching that show and I didn't finish it. And they all go, what? (laughs) Watching it, it's so great. So, yeah, if you're looking for something on SBS On Demand, I'm I'm getting a lot of thumbs up for Women Who Kill. Okay. Now, I think Jennifer Goodwin's in this too. She is. I'm a big fan of her. She was Marge, I think, in Big Love. Yeah, yeah. So the premise of the show is it's the same house but at three different periods in history. Lucy was a housewife in the 80s. Jennifer Goodwin is a housewife in the 50s or 60s. And then there's somebody else I can't remember. But that's the premise of the show. I see. Right. Okay. Okay. Now, um, what else was I going to say about a streaming service? I had one other one, didn't we? Well, I was going to mention the, um, the launch of Quibi. Quibi has launched in Australia. Yep. It's 
must be it must be four months since it launched in the US roughly. Now this is a short form uh, content platform. I think it's nothing maybe longer than 10 minutes, I'm thinking. Something like that, bite-sized yeah. pieces. Now it has launched here, it's $6.99 a month. Yep. But they do have, and I'm not sure if this is just for now or long-term, they do have an ad-supported free level. And so, also, I think this is a show that you can watch on your phone vertical or horizontally. Yep. Whatever way you do it, it will adjust. Yeah. Like, I guess, pan and scan of widescreen movies. I'm not quite sure why you'd want to watch on your phone vertically, but... Well, I guess it was made... My understanding was that it was being made for people who did watch shows on their phone and okay. they might be on public transport and that's why the episodes are only going to go for 10 minutes. It was, yeah. you know, it, was, yeah. it very much seemed to be aimed towards you're travelling to work. And, of course, what happened? It came out at America in the middle of a pandemic when everyone went into lockdown and it's been quite unsuccessful from what I can gather yeah. uh, in America. And I can't see that any of the shows have kind of broken out. All I remember when it came out was there was a show starring the girl from Game of Thrones, Sophie Turner. There was a show with her. Is that her name? Yes, um, yep. And that was the only thing I can remember. I looked at all the others and went, well, there's nothing there I'm really busting a gut to see. Yeah. I think they've done quite a lot of content deals with the stars to produce right. uh, programs. I mean, some other people headlining shows are Liam Hensworth has got one. Yeah. Uh, and Anna Kendrick. Uh, J-Lo's got sort of a, um, a, a sort of charity thing where they donate money to worthy people, but it's got a big catch and I'm not sure what that is. <laughs> yeah. And there's even a show about customised, building customised dog houses. Wow. Niche. As you, as you and I both have Labradors. Yes. There's probably a little bit of interest in that one. But the one I'm really interested in is something called Kirby Jenner. Now, Kirby Jenner. Kirby Jenner, it's been produced by Kendall Jenner. Right. Now, it's supposed to be about her twin brother. But... I've only discovered this just recently. She doesn't have a twin brother, but the person who is Kirby Jenner is an internet celebrity who's got to fame by pretending to be Kendall Jenner's um, twin brother. Oh, my God. And now the, now the, um, the Jenner family are making a show about him. Oh, my God. Is there anything that family won't jump on to make money? <laughs> Jesus Christ, you could go take a dump in front of their mansion and they turn it into a TV show. Well, I want to watch this one. I might only watch one episode, granted. Oh, wow. But it does seem intriguing. Okay. Um, yeah, so that, that's launched here now. Wow, um, that's incredible. That's, um, I haven't got much else for you this week. I'm looking forward to... Um, What's coming up? The block's not too far away. I guess it's the end of this month. I'm interested in, uh, I think it's Celebrity SAS, which seven are making. Oh, yes. yes. Apparently got some big names as the, um, they're keeping a very tight lid on who's actually in it. Yeah. So they think that's going to be one of their big hopes. Um, from, was it from... What's the the chef's one? Um, plate of origin. Plate of origin. 
Where, so talking about Seven, where is Fam Time? That was the sitcom they made with Michaela Bannis and Rhonda Birchmore as the mother, and it was about a family that spend all their time on their phones and Rhonda Birchmore's on dating sites. I don't understand why Seven aren't rushing this to air. It seems like the perfect show to be watching in lockdown because it's about a family who sits at home on their mobile phone. It was called Screen Time or Fam Time. It was on their list of shows for 2020, and I don't understand why they won't put it to air. Yeah, I just wonder if... um, Fam Time, it's called. Has it been made? um, Benson Jack Anthony from 800 Words. It stars uh, Michaela Bannis as a mummy blogger. Grandma Viv, Rhonda Birchmore, who's obsessed with online dating. And fan time begins with Belinda planning to live stream the funeral of a great aunt who's just died. It's an old school family sitcom set in a whole new world. And that's from my TV Week 2020 preview that I keep here for these moments. Okay. I don't understand. It seems like the perfect comedy to be putting to air during a pandemic. That um, it was created and executive produced by Michael Horrocks, who's Michael been Horrocks. A, yeah. a long time seven. Well, he was on air originally. He was. He used to do that uh, video clip show with Kim Wilson. Correct. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm not sure what's happened to that. Now, I was trying to, what's the, um, have you got anything you want to leave us with that you're looking yeah. forward to? Or? I just wanted to leave you with the fact that the show I'm most looking forward to next week is Craig Rucastle's new show on the ABC. Oh, yes. Fight for Planet A, uh, which is his follow-up to uh, War on Waste. Uh, I can't wait to see it. It's called Fight for Planet A. I've actually watched the first episode. And how is it? Very good. Very very good. I mean, there's a scene where you almost shed a tear. There's a few laughs. And get this, you save some money as well as saving the planet. Wow. So it's called Fight for Planet A, Our Climate Change, and it's a three-part series on Tuesday nights, and it takes over the time slot from Sean McAuliffe's On The Source, which I just thought was terrific. That third episode where Sean McAuliffe went off with those kids who don't drink or they were called Straight Edge and they had this punk band in a record store in Melbourne and they're all teetotalers but they're all mosh-pitting away and Sean McAuliffe standing there in the group. Oh, it was hilarious. It was so interesting and I loved uh, I loved On The Source. So, yeah, well done for those uh, shows on ABC on a Tuesday night. They've been terrific so far. I've been sort of re-watching because I didn't realise I was actually seen it before but it started to come back to me as um, Marcella. Oh, right, yeah. Um, gee, that first season that um, one of our favourite actresses, Anna Friel. Yes. Um, well, she's she's really out there in this and I think her, her character gets a little bit wilder as the seasons go on. I haven't seen past seasons one yet. There's... Three seasons. It's actually screening at the moment on ABC, I think, Friday nights. Right. It's all on Netflix and a lot of it's also on iView. There's also another one, James, I'm looking at on Stan that I want to watch. It's called The Deceased or The Deceived. 
It's a brand new drama um, and it stars Emmett J. Scanlon, who was in The Fall and yeah. is a star from Hollyoaks years back. And it's an Irish drama and uh, it's screening in the UK at the moment. There's a lot of chatter about it. Another UK drama, which is, it's won a few awards and done very well, um, White House Farm. Oh, yeah. Now, this starts on BBC First next week. Yeah. Now, it scares me a little bit because it's about a um, five members of the same family who are murdered. Right. So I get a bit freaked at stuff like that sometimes. But, um, yeah, so that starts uh, BBC First on Wednesday, August the 12th. Yeah, but it's, um, it's had, you know, great reviews and it um, looks like it could be really good, but it's, yeah, well, it could be a little bit edgy too. Yeah, Okay. Alrighty, look, great catching up with you, Andrew. Thanks for that. Thanks, James. Have a great week. You too, mate.